0: Hello and welcome to the Health in Focus with Jacobus podcast. I am your host, Jacobus Hollowayne. The purpose of the show is to talk about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles in a format that is down-to-earth and pretty easy to comprehend. Most shows will be conversations with experts in the field, however, sometimes I will do a podcast on my own, tackling other topics that interest me. The focus is on information, education, and even some entertainment. This is not a program where we diagnose, treat or cure any diseases. In case this podcast and topic tickle your interest, please continue your own research by discussing it with a preferred medical professional, by reading books on the topic or by doing more research on the internet. I am not a doctor, more like a journalist. I have been in this field for over 30 years including hosting a three-hour weekly local radio show for 19 years from 2000 through 2019. Through the years, I've also written many articles on health-related topics, and I've used other avenues to share what I've learned with others. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast and that you will become a follower for more show updates. Also, please sign up at my website, healthinfocusnow.com, and receive updates on podcasts and articles. Thank you very much. Now let's go to today's guest and topic. My guest is Miriam Bachra, a dear friend, who used to be a regular guest on my 19-year radio shows, and we discussed a whole bunch of topics. Her information is very deep and very thorough. Marian uh, is a clinical nutritionist. She is a traditional Chinese herbalist and she is a certified emotion code practitioner. Her trauma-informed approach is to help foster the inner healer that is within all of us and to help remove obstacles for the full manifestation of that inner healer within. She currently sees herself as a mediator and a guide to help her clients achieve their goals and reasons for visits with her, and whatever else unfolds. As a trauma-informed clinical nutritionist, Marion places an emphasis on metabolic imbalances, eating disorders and weight loss, which spans vast areas and includes the assessment of cardiovascular metabolism, blood sugar metabolism, digestive function and adequacy, while considering the emotional and mental health challenges of each client so as to help faster a healthy, balanced, and compassionate self-care while exploring what the potential obstacles are to this compassionate self-care. As a trauma-informed traditional Chinese herbalist, through the lens of traditional Chinese medicine, she does an assessment that considers the client's symptoms, signs, tongue and pulses, with the goal to help faster the inner healer, and to help re-establish inner balance, capital I, capital B, inner balance, through the lens of different Chinese organ domain patterns. Different Chinese organ domain patterns, which are mostly functional and energetic, and not so much structural and localized in one particular organ, but can include a particular organ, hence it's called organ domain patterns. As a trauma-informed and certified emotion co-practitioner, which is developed by Dr. Bradley Nelson, this is a very efficient method for tracking down trapped emotions and to help the person release trapped emotions to help faster that inner healer. Trapped emotions are those emotions that you have previously experienced but were overwhelming to you, and so you have these stowed away. Other types of trapped emotions are preconception trapped emotions, prenatal trapped emotions, inherited trapped emotions, absorbed trapped emotions, shared trapped emotions. These trapped emotions are also called your emotional baggage. Now, keep in mind that this is going to be quite the topic, very interesting. And uh, Marion. Good to see you.
1: Yeah, good to see you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the introduction. <laughs> yeah. The best way to contact you, what is, sorry, what is your website?
1: Oh, website.
0: Let's do your website.
1: Uh, Bozeman Nutritionist, all one word. All right.com.
0: BozemanNutritionist.com. Okie dokie. Now, the topic itself is called The Overarching Factors for Autoimmunity Besides Leaky Gut are adverse childhood experiences. So for those of you who know about autoimmunity, you often hear that it is related to leaky gut, but Marian will explain to us how also adverse childhood experiences are part of autoimmunity in general. And the subtitle is, All human disease and suffering are meant for spiritual growth and this can be a very hard pill to swallow as compared to other pills. No pun intended. <laughs> so, where do we start from here?
1: Where do we start? Where do from we here? start?
0: What is an autoimmunity? Explain, please, when people say, well, I'm sick, I'm not feeling well. I hear there are about a, or close to 100 autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. And how do you explain to somebody what the difference is when they have a symptom, this is the disorder, or this is an autoimmune disease? How do you explain that?
1: Yeah, so I'm just looking at autoimmune disease in general, so I'm not necessarily focusing on any particular type. But what all autoimmune diseases have in common is that the... Um, the immune system of the particular person with uh, the autoimmune disease is not recognizing that uh, they are attacking the person. So the the person is unable to, not the person, the immune system is unable to recognize what is self and what is non-self. And so the the immune system unleashes an attack mm. on your own organs. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of in a nutshell what... Autoimmune diseases and people can have autoimmune markers, but not have an autoimmune disease. That's is really on a spectrum, and some people will have auto antibodies, meaning they have developed antibodies where they attack themselves, but not to the point where they get an overt autoimmune disease.
0: Mm-hmm. And auto uh, antibodies usually sound negative, but, but that's really part of your immune system trying to clear things up but they get confused what they all need to clean up they go right. after the healthy organ
1: right and i think if you probably and of course i haven't done such a study if you were to test like a large study i'm sure a lot of people have to some level some antibodies directed against themselves auto antibodies but it's you know to what degree and what degree is normal and i can't give any answers on that mm-hmm. necessarily but it's when they get very Elevated in combination, which, of course, what the topic is, is, you know, inner stress and adverse childhood experiences that when the two come together, then, you know, and a bunch of other factors that an autoimmune disease develops. Hmm. And then there's all the other factors that, you know, in, in functional medicine, you know, focusing on the diet and focusing on toxins and focusing on infections and focusing on parasites and, you know, looking at all the other factors that can trigger an autoimmune disease. So, so what I'm trying to not, not promote, because it's not a promotion, but what I'm trying to uh, clarify is that overall that, the way our body system responds to the environment is in turn affected by
0: our early, you know, childhood. Wow. It just accelerates the possibility for having an autoimmune disease in your life. Right. Wow. Yeah. And and from what you have learned and studied, it's almost 100% that autoimmunity definitely has an emotional component to it.
1: Well, I think all disease have an emotional component. And the reason yeah, being can see is that. we are a mind-body. We are not a mind walking in a separate body. And so we are, we are connected. Our mind and body is connected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the way it communicates in terms of our stress is through our autonomic nervous system. Okay. So so I think nothing is separate. I mean, there are people who will have like a gene, let's say, for cystic fibrosis. Well, probably the way cystic fibrosis will manifest or not and how severe it is, there still is an emotional component to it. But mm-hmm. yeah. Obviously, there are, but there are very. Those are, there are fewer diseases that are purely genetic, and most of them are what's called epigenetic, meaning that the environment, which means our upbringing, our diet, the way we metabolize toxins, mm-hmm. and then what I'm trying to stress is early ad, uh, adverse childhood experiences, will all affect how we are responding to the
0: environment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they can be triggered then. So we have certain allergies to the <laughs> environment or cats and dogs and horses that can trigger a response, but this can work from the inside out.
1: Right. And and so uh, actually to deviate not just a slightly from the topic, I used to have a pretty bad cat allergy. And in I can't remember exactly one. In, uh, in 2011, we got a second cat. And I said, my gosh, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. And so to reroute my immune system so I wouldn't be so allergic to the second cat or for that matter for, uh, to the first cat, I did what's called emotional freedom technique, yeah. which is tapping on the meridian points. Um, and we don't, we're not necessarily going to talk about that, but I used the emotional freedom technique to, so. to kind of reroute and calm my immune system to not have this hyperallergic response. And mm-hmm. it was a very interesting first experience with kind of energy medicine and and how our internal stresses uh, can set oneself up for being more allergic, for instance, to the environment.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So autoimmunity, obviously multiple sclerosis, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, Graves' disease are well known to many people. Uh, could you mention a few autoimmune diseases? that may be a little bit more obscure to people? Well, obscure.
1: Take, for instance, Hashimoto's. Quite often that is not diagnosed, so that might be obscure and might be a very common you know, autoimmune disease. It's
0: one of the most common yeah, thyroid right. disorders.
1: So mm-hmm. it, it's obscure <coughs> in the fact that it's often not quite looked at. And yeah, so even with Hashimoto's, a lot of people don't know they have an, the autoimmune uh, disease, Hashimoto's, because it's easily quote-unquote remedied by doing a hormone replacement Um, Mm -hmm. and so then there's no further investigation with uh, rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and a whole host of more debilitating autoimmune diseases it will actually be diagnosed Mm -hmm. so um, Oh, vitiligo.
0: Well, vitiligo well, is, it
1: was not that obscure because it's kind yeah, of. Yeah, but
0: a, I I often find that people, um, those are words that they don't hear that often. So, uh, scleroderma mm, and. Uh, myasthenia
1: gravis, that's. Uh,
0: myasthenia gravis, yeah, that's, that has to do can, with the eyes, right?
1: You can have ocular myasthenia gravis, but you can also have whole body myasthenia gravis, where okay. all of a sudden you just collapse on the ground. Wow. Because it affects the acetylcholine receptors all over the body or just the eyes. Mm-hmm. And it can be pretty uh, debilitating if all of a sudden you collapse.
0: Acetylcholine.
2: Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. the, you attack the acetylcholine receptors in the body.
0: Wow. wow.
1: And then some people are a mass of uh, steroids to suppress uh, the, the immune function.
0: Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So we have autoimmune disease. We have slight understanding, but better understanding what it is, what it is caused by as far as um, the antibodies going to work. Uh, today we're going to talk about uh, the possible the, the the studies done on childhood experiences that are part of this. Now, what is epigenetics, and how is that related to autoimmune disease?
1: Yeah, I was on your show, I believe, was it two thousand and fifteen or sixteen, talking about autoimmune diseases, and and with uh, I attended an autoimmune summit with. Uh, Amy Myers. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, she talks about... So difference. she's a
0: medical doctor yes. who wrote a book, The Autoimmune Solution. Right. Mm-hmm. She
1: wrote a book, immune Solution. She also, I believe, wrote a book, uh, the, the Thyroid Solution or something, or The mm-hmm. Hashimoto Solution. And so she's, she points to the fact that about 20% of um, autoimmune disease is genetic and the other 80% is environmental. No mention necessarily of what's called epigenetics, and uh, the study of epigenetics looks at the interaction between the environment and uh, and and the genes. Yeah. And so um, maybe she has got, uh, talked about that. I don't remember that. It just doesn't stand out. So, epigenetics is the way our environment talks to our genes. And then you had Bruce Lipton on many years ago. Um, 2005. And, and he said, it's the environment, stupid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, in the biology of belief. Actually, I tried to find that quote. I didn't see it, but uh, yeah. it's somewhere. So, um, so it's the environment that talks to our genes and so we can have genetic susceptibility for an autoimmune disease but then it's the environment that can turn off and on those genes
2: mm-hmm.
1: and what really turns on genes like not to our advantage quote unquote in a more negative way is early childhood uh, adverse childhood experiences right. so epigenetics is you know we can work you know, to our favor, you know, through diet, through lifestyle, through adequate sleep, through exercise, all these turn tend to turn off unfavorable genes and turn on favorable genes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, so there is what's called this cross between our genes and our environment, which is you know, I give that little uh, overview
0: yeah. on mm-hmm. on
1: that form.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So. So the way uh, adverse childhood experiences adversely affect our immune system is by turning on those genes that can promote autoimmunity Mm -hmm. through Mm -hmm. the stress response and through our autonomic nervous system.
0: So one of the things that Bruce Lipton was talking about is that it is the membrane of the cell, not per se the DNA inside the cell Mm-hmm. But it is the environment of the the quality of the membrane of the cell where everything is absorbed. Right. And where things are being the message is coming in and is filtered. And mm-hmm. that so what you're saying is if the environment that can be physical or emotional or mm-hmm. spiritual, how that affects the membrane of the cell. It can start to affect the DNA on the inside. It's right. not the DNA right, that causes us to be who we are. It is the environment in right. which we are living and are exposed to and have been exposed to that causes certain diseases or imbalance.
1: Or so so if you have a susceptible g- gene that can turn that on. So that's what mm-hmm. is this, uh, you know, he just says it in a different way, but it's still epigenetics. It's the same. Correct. It's yeah. the it's the identical,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, identical
0: idea. Very interesting. So yeah. the other thing that many people talk about, especially Amy Myers in her book Autoimmune Solution, she says that pretty much every autoimmune disease is caused by leaky gut. What is leaky gut? It makes sense what it is, but mm-hmm. maybe you can no,
1: yeah, we should explain de- it. Yeah, we should definitely talk about it. Yeah, I even at, at some point brought that into some question, but I won't go into that. So leaky gut is when this one cell layer in our small intestine, as the word says, becomes leaky. And uh, it can become leaky through the cell and in between the cells. And when it becomes leaky, what happens? Things get absorbed into the bloodstream that shouldn't because of this leakiness. Mm -hmm. And and when these, uh, let's say, food and certain proteins in food, when you have leaky gut, more of these proteins can get absorbed in a larger form than they should have been into the bloodstream and then the immune system, depending on the person, Mm -hmm. the immune system gets heightened and triggered and starts, you know, developing antibodies to this food. For instance, and mm-hmm. so then with the uh, the whole link between that is then the immune system, you know, recognizes these proteins that first of all shouldn't be in the bloodstream, and then it looks at the protein sequence, and then the immune system says, ah, I look at this protein sequence, this just looks, for instance, like the thyroid, so now I'm going to attack the thyroid. So then there is what's called I see. then there is what's called molecular mimicry. Uh, through this mechanism, and then um, the immune system gets confused with the identity and say, "Oh, this is just like whatever. This milk protein," and then attacks the thyroid.
0: Okay, yeah, so very beautiful.
1: Yeah, so that I mean, it's be- but, not
0: beautiful, but yeah, it is amazing but, but, how it works.
1: Yeah, but but that, in my opinion, has huge limitations. And I I became aware of Amy Myers and her book and everybody else. that was on her. On her summit, uh, and, and using the functional medicine approach, uh, stress is hearsay most of the time, and it really doesn't get delved into. I mean, some actually, Kija Ewers, she's an integrative medical doctor. Kija Ewers? Yeah, I think that's what her, her name is. I don't have her name here, but... Uh, she's an Ayurvedic medical doctor, a sexologist and a medical doctor and she um, seems to give more credence to adverse childhood experiences.
2: Uh-huh.
1: But most of the functional medicine approach, in my opinion, is strictly physiological and I feel only gets you that far. I mean, it just depends on the person and, agree. and why they had have, have the autoimmune disease mm-hmm. in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I felt, in a way I was hitting a brick wall with that approach and I knew the huge piece was missing and I knew a huge piece was missing for it in my own life because of all the autoantibodies I have had yeah, and I haven't lately tested. And I always felt strongly that, uh, you know, in my case in terms of why I had all these antibodies, autoantibodies and basically reacted super strongly to food that the underlying reason was er- early adverse childhood experiences, but I wasn't necessarily able to prove that that was the case. And I just said, I just, that's just me. That's as far as I would go I see. with it. So then I read Bessel von der Kolk, you know, The Body Keeps the Score.
0: So was Bessel von der Kolk after you had done the emotional freedom technique, the tapping on the cat, that you realized, yeah, yes. oh my goodness, yes. this is way, actually...
1: way, way after... Yeah. The, the tapping on the cat allergies was in
0: 2011. Yeah and So that this all came after that. So then you realize wait a second I didn't change anything on my diet. I actually did the tapping and look at this I'm I don't have the allergy anymore mm-hmm. and that's maybe why, what what was the candle that went on or the light that went on for you that there is more to autoimmunity than or allergies. Than uh, physical.
1: Yeah, well, I was already aware of that because um, I used to be a big fan of uh, Andrew Weil. And he uh, he felt that with all allergies, there is a strong emotional component. And he gave the example of a person sm- uh, seeing a rose and just the visual appearance of the rose, if they had allergies, would cause asthma because just seeing the rose would trigger Instantaneously, an asthma attack, like a
0: Pavlov effect or something.
1: Well, well I'm not I'm not sure. If that's well, maybe. I guess uh, I hadn't thought about it in this yeah. way, other mm. than you know, it triggered the alarm. And you the, bet. The alarms went off in their body, mm-hmm. and so it triggered the respo- the allergic response, and that was to uh, something that was a fake rose. Right. So that, and I had that always in my back of my mind, but didn't do much about it.
0: So it's I, almost like uh, if you, you've you witnessed an accident on the road, every time you drive by that stretch, mm-hmm. you always know where that accident happened. Right. And you you kind of go like, oh, you almost look over to the side, that's where it happened, that's where it happened. You constantly have that reminder
1: mm-hmm.
0: of an accident, you know? Yeah,
1: it's a memory. Yeah, it's and, a memory that actually, and that's, you know, <laughs> that I realize more and more that, that memories stay in our physical body and are stored there or stored in our emotional body, stored mm-hmm. in our right brain, the way uh, you know, Bessel van der Kolk explains that. Yeah,
0: Bessel van der Kolk, a countryman of ours. Canada, That's right. Well, we have both <laughs> grown up in the Netherlands, and he is Dutch. He wrote a book, Your Body Keeps the Score, and that is indeed all traumatic experiences, good and bad, right? Mm-hmm. The emotional experiences, whenever they happened, they are trapped in the body, and... At some point when the cup is full, it overfloweth, right. so to say.
1: That's right. Yeah, so he... Uh, he yeah. worked,
0: first of all, with uh, PTSD, right? With uh, Vietnam veterans.
1: Yes, he worked with Vita- Vietnam veterans in Boston uh, doing strictly a conventional uh, psychiatric uh, approach, like a psychiatrist, and uh, did regular prescriptions of antidepressants. Mm-hmm and saw some amazing transformations where people were, you know, on antidepressants, but then, you know, through his own experience, saw the huge limitation of that approach because Mm -hmm. people were not necessarily resolving any traumatic issues that were still stuck in the body. It was more like putting on a blanket over it so you don't feel it. Totally. So so there was no release of anything necessarily. Totally, Uh uh-huh. So then he did all these studies and uh, he has a lot of like functional MRIs that he's doing and looking where where trauma is stored and it tends to be stored in the right side of the brain. Yeah. And the right side of the brain has to do also with our emotions and the way we, um, you know, store emotions in our body. And so with cognitive behavioral therapy, that is the standard form of therapy, it really addresses the left side of the brain, where trauma isn't stored. Right. And so with cognitive behavioral therapy, can the way he explains that, it can be really good when a person has never spoken about anything and there's a lot of sh- secrecy and shame about whatever happened to them, saying it verbally to a trusted person is very helpful. But right. to rehashing your story over and over again through cognitive behavioral therapy... Uh, he explains can actually be more traumatizing, oh, and uh, so that so then talk therapy can actually be counterproductive.
0: Uh huh.
1: So he emphasizes what's called the somatic approaches that are body-based uh, approaches, somatic experiencing, I and mean, there's a whole host of, you know, body-based uh, expo- uh, you know, approaches. I mean, emotional freedom technique is kind of a body-based ex- approach because you are you know, using meridian points. I mean, it's kind of a form of, you know, in energy medicine yeah, in a yeah, way. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: hmm uh, He has like one sentence about tapping in this book. Not, yeah. not much, but... Uh,
0: Very powerful. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating book, and I recommend people uh, read it. Just learn from him or even look him up on YouTube. Bessel van der There's First. quite a few Kolek, Kolk, K-O-L-K... It's uh, There's quite a few lectures by him where he explains what he's talking about in his books. And um, so fascinating stuff. And also in the book, The Adrenaline Dominance from Dr. Michael Platt, medical doctor, uh, it's called Adrenaline Dominance. And he talks about one of the ugly, he has the good, the bad and the ugly side effects of too much adrenaline can be fibromyalgia, symptoms of fibromyalgia, which is also considered an autoimmune disease. And in it, he first of all explains how Western medicine usually approaches the fibromyalgia pain, obviously with pain medication, but also that it has to do with aluminum toxicity and not having enough magnesium anymore to protect the muscles. So then they talk about uh, things like malic acid, to remove Mm. the aluminum and then magnesium to rebalance, restore the protection around the muscles. And then all of a sudden he says, yeah, but what his experience is doing this for 40 years, my experience is that fibromyalgia is actually suppressed anger. And he says, every time you get reminded of something, just like with a car accident that you remember seeing on the road, every time something happens, where you are reminded of that trauma or that anger, you tense up a little bit. You squeeze your muscles a little bit. You know, if you make a fist and you feel that tension in your forearms and, and, and elbow and shoulder, and he says that uh, working with people on suppressed anger issues all of a sudden releases the fibromyalgia. So mm. I would say that's another little key in, in your approach where we can talk about how the emotions and suppressed emotions, the long-term suppressed, like you say in the introduction, how far back it goes. It goes from preconception. Yeah, or inherited. That's deep or Or inherited. Yeah,
1: inherited, I know.
0: Wow. So there is indeed the leaky gut is one thing, but then we have still that adverse child experience that could be connected to both.
1: Yeah, so how are leaky gut, and adverse childhood experiences connected. And so uh, earlier I said that the autonomic nervous system regulates our body through the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. So when there are adverse childhood experiences, you, the person, can experience what's called dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system Meaning you either go to fight and flight, or you go to freeze and in, in, you know go all over the place. Yeah. And I have a little uh, pamphlet that I've given you about the window of tolerance, and there's many ways uh, to look at uh, to look at trauma. Mm-hmm. So when the the autonomic nervous system is dysregulated, and since the autonomic nervous system is everywhere, it also innervates every gland of your body the intestines everything the, auto, the autonomic nervous system innervates everything and it works to the vagus nerve the because, vagus nerve yeah, which it.
0: runs from the from the brain it is almost like an upside down tree it, right. the root system goes into the brain and then it comes through the neck and then it starts hitting the the the, the larger organs specifically and it does go all the way, no, it goes to the, to the bottom of the rump, right? It doesn't really yeah. go into the legs, no, I understand. No, no,
1: but it, but it really innervates the digestion. And yeah. so if you have a lot of adverse childhood experiences that you are holding on to, that you might not even be aware of, because a lot of it is unconscious, it can set up your whole system, especially your gut, for leaky gut. And so, so that's how you know adverse childhood experiences and leaky guts are uh, you know intimately intertwined. intertwined. But again, mm-hmm. everybody is different, and everybody will express whatever they've experienced early in childhood different and have a and have a different outcome. So there's no person that's the same. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so these these adverse childhood experiences through the dysregulation of the nervous system, uh, then d- tends to dysregulate everything, basically b- below the neck. Yeah, and that's yeah, how yeah, yeah. That's why we we are truly a mind body. We're not disconnected. We don't just have a mind and a body, and they're just kind of floating separately. They're intimately connected in every which way, and especially through our autonomic nervous system.
0: Mm-hmm. I uh, I often talk to people about the difference between the brain and the body. I call the brain the part above the neck, and I call it the coach. It never stops talking to us. 24 hours a day, it yaps, 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 and then you have the section below the neck, which is your athlete, which has no specific choice. It just does whatever the coach tells it to do, and it does it as many times as the coach wants it to do. But at some point, when the body doesn't get the proper nutrition or the proper care, it starts to... Talk back. Talk back. And usually, in my opinion, the first reaction is fatigue. So you become tired because you didn't get the proper nutrition. I always say the brain loves sugar, but the body, the athlete, needs proteins and fats, And so when we are getting hungry and we send a signal from the body to the brain, the brain says, oh, you're hungry. Let's have a snicker bar. Because Mm -hmm. as soon as it hits the saliva glands, it goes straight to the brain. And within 10, 15 seconds, you go like, oh, this feels really good. And you're already satisfied and you feel better and your focus is better. But there is no nutrition going to the body. So at some point, over time, the body is being malnourished and becomes fatigue. And we wake up tired and we say, mm, shall I call the doctor that I'm tired today? And then the brain goes, "Ah, you crazy? Just get up and start walking. You'll Suck be fine. Up. Suck it up, sucker. And so we start self-medicating. Mm-hmm. So here comes the caffeine and the five-hour energy and the ginseng and and the pep pills and whatever we use. And for most people, that is something they do for decades. And then the second stage starts where the body says, well, I was trying to be nice to you to just make you tired. So I got to step it up. So you start waking up with aches and pains, hurts in the back, hurts in the shoulder, hurts in the neck, hurts in the legs and the knee and the hip, whatever. And we go like, maybe I should call the doctor that my hip hurts today. And then the coach goes, get up, walk it off. By noon, you're going to be fine. So again, no doctor, and we just start self-medicating. So we take ibuprofen and Advil, turmeric, devil's claw, fish oil, whatever we need in order to uh, CBD, Mm -hmm. in order to overcome the pain because the coach wants us to do all this work all day and we have no time to go to a doctor. So we do that for decades, and then eventually... The body says, well, you're really not listening to me. And I'm trying to tell you something, that I'm being malnourished and that there's a lot going on that I have to store. So in your case, you talk about the emotional parts of the body. So it comes out sideways. And now we start having chronic disease. And chronic disease becomes an issue where we say, we can't figure this out. And I try to self-medicate, but it doesn't go away. So maybe I should see a physician. And that's when we make a call and we go to the doctor. And the mm-hmm. doctor says, "Well, Jacobus, how long have you had this problem?" And I said, "Well, the way I feel right now, that, uh, maybe three months." Well, I have a pill for you. You know, why don't you take this little, the little red triangle pill mm-hmm. and do that? And just because the doctor says so. We automatically, mentally think this is going to help. And lo and behold, we start noticing a difference. It improves, but it doesn't last. One and a half, two months, and then we have pain again, and we go back to the doctor, and he or she says, hmm, why don't you take two a day? No way, doctor. You're a genius. This is awesome. <laughs> so now you take two, and then you go back again, and now you get a yellow pill that is kind of oval. And you get a white pill that is a little thicker, and it just goes on and on and on medication-wise. And many people just keep taking medications till the day they die. And we haven't really addressed the, the problem. But my point is that I totally agree with you that the, with the vagus nerve, the emotions, the physical body, like Bessel van der Kolk says also, the body keeps the score... It, it accumulates and it will come out sideways. Fatigue, aches and pain, chronic disease. And then you got to try to reverse that pattern, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. My, my feeling with you is that you're, you're telling it doesn't have to take as long as we sometimes think. It doesn't. If it t- took decades to build up, it doesn't mean that it will take decades to get rid of it.
1: Well, it's true, and sometimes uh, whatever you are experiencing is very complicated, and I think that's gonna differ from person uh, to person as to how long it takes. I mean, I've seen you know previously, in my practice where I um, was with a client and she did a food sensitivity test, and she had uh, alopecia not erratica, but her and she had a lot of food sensitivities and and I'm not sure how she's doing now so I can't vouch for long term she you know followed all the dietary recommendations based on the food sensitivity and her hair grew back
2: huh
1: i was actually shocked and surprised and amazed yeah 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 so in her case you know there was a uh, very quick reversal but I've actually th- thought about her several times, and I should contact her how she's doing because uh, you know. So, so in that case, she had almost uh, an immediate reversal for pretty long-standing alopecia. But uh. in other cases, the reason why a person gets an autoimmune disease is very de- deep, or the person. Since I I have the preface, all human suffering and human disease are meant for spiritual growth and depending how forced you are to dig deeper and deeper and deeper to get at whatever the constellation is of, you know, why you are where you are to begin with might be way more complicated and Mm. might take you a lot longer. Mm. Take, for instance, myself. I took a, a test to check for multiple... Auto antibodies to my organs, I did that in 2014, and I discovered I had all these antibodies to a lot of organs, and the one that I was concerned about was my pancreas, within a year after doing radical food changes, and I also bought an infrared sauna, and I started doing saunas, and I was doing emotional freedom technique, and then I retested this panel, and lo and behold my antibodies to my pancreas had disappeared and it was like a big sigh of relief because because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to have now autoimmune type one and a half diabetes uh, staring in my face. I don't want that. So I figured, oh, that's easy. I have it licked. And so even though I uh, had no more antibodies to my pancreas and my blood sugar dramatically improved, but it did not necessarily stay improved, and it was harder and harder to have optimum blood sugar levels. And as years have gone by, I realized more and more and more how intimately connected our autonomic nervous system is and how a person might not even be aware they are in fight and flight or freeze or some dysregulation and how that in turn is affecting in my case my pancre- my pancreatic function
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how early overwhelming childhood experiences as i'm processing i'm still processing it how that is related to my pancreatic function and oh. i can say it's no easy task and so the example you gave you know like keep working and overriding the body yeah i guess to some extent I did that in my own life. But uh, what was my main issue is I was very mental and intellectual.
2: Oh, and, yeah. and
1: I got more and more into my heart. Uh, and so trying to have a balance between my heart and my mind, well, it was very safe to go to my mind. It wasn't very safe to go to my heart. Mm. It was very scary. Mm. So I really overdeveloped my intellectual capacity
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so became kind of like a workaholic uh, I don't feel I am that anymore, thank God, because it's a very fatiguing operation.
0: Yeah, I, I've known you for a long time, <laughs> yeah. So I've seen that.
1: Yeah, so, I can see
0: that. And so, uh, so everybody. What a good battle! Yeah, Amazing.
1: yeah. So everybody has their own path in how they can, you know, ride through this autoimmunity to self uh, exp- exploration. And as way as Amy Myers explains that you know each pie, which means, you know the the geneticist in her case, she feels it's fixed, but mm-hmm. uh, you know the gut and the toxins and the environment and the mold and the infections is all different. It's very complex, as I said. I it's thought, a challenge. Well, it, a is challenge a, it is a challenge that
0: you have to understand, and can and then accept.
1: And then have self-compassion because that's one thing I I started lacking because I wasn't perfect, and so I had a lot of shame. I lacked self-compassion at some point, like, okay, how come I haven't snapped out of this blood sugar issue yet?
2: Mm -hmm. I
1: have no more antibodies, so what's keeping me? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I went through a period of that. I'm not anymore, so I can talk about it, I guess, on the podcast. So self-compassion is... Key in self discovery and also in healing and staying with, you know, staying with where you are so you can move from where you are to where you want to be. Mm. So if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And self compassion should not be confused with self pity.
1: Well, it's the actually the opposite of self pity because mm-hmm. if you have self pity, you see yourself more as a victim. Of exterior circumstances mm-hmm. that you can't change. Correct. Where if you have self compassion, you realize the interaction and the interplay between you and the environment, including your parents. And then if you have enough self compassion, then you can have compassion for your parents because you realize, well, they did the best they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then you um, can move on. But yeah, self-pity is a very disempowering uh, condition a person can be in and it doesn't foster healing or change Mm -hmm. or growth because then you basically are kind of stuck. So self-pity, you tend to get stuck.
0: Correct. Correct. Because you become a n- victim.
1: Yeah, you become a victim, and you have, and you lose your uh, the sense of self empowerment. Yeah, we
0: are the center of our own universe, right? So we, we we have to. We're always there, and we can we can move forward from there. There's no reason to get stuck. And um, well,
1: there are lots of reasons to get stuck. You bet. It's how do you? That get is why unstuck? we have
0: medicine. Yes, the field of medicine.
1: The field of medicine. I
0: feel so. I think medicine maybe especially Western medicine, doesn't look at these aspects. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, let's say, take a Bessel van der Kolk or Michael Platt or uh, you know even Amy Myers, they're interested in trying to understand why certain diseases happen. And some of them are moving more into, hey, there is definitely a spiritual, emotional, mental component, and others look at it more like it's just physical ailments and we gotta, we got to medicate it to death. And we have seen that approach doesn't really work. So medicine is often put the put the band-aid on it mm-hmm. and don't deal with the issues. but I've seen with you through all the years that I've known you you are somebody and I always tell people this is somebody who walks the walk. I mean mm-hmm. you studied but you are willing to walk the walk to to say, okay, I'm going to experiment this on me and and you were at some point at a very desperate, Time when you learned about your antibodies to the pancreas.
1: Actually, that was not a desperate time. Oh, really? It was actually very liberating. Okay. To get an answer. To get an answer to a lot of questions that I had. Uh, Yeah. So what? That that wasn't desperate times. I've had many desperate times, but those weren't one of them. Okay. Um, As I said, I fell into shame when even though my these antibodies uh, had disappeared, uh, my blood sugar uh, didn't necessarily turn, quote-unquote, to normal.
0: Improve. So right? so
1: that's... Mm. Uh, but that wasn't even the desperation. That was more shame and anger in a sense of perfectionism and what am I missing and maybe anger. And, um, maybe it's a, a little touch of... No, not self-pity. I don't know. It, it's... Um, I haven't really th- thought about that anymore. Yeah, but the
0: interesting thing is that you you say now self-compassion, but maybe at the time it was more self-pity, like why me? I'm doing everything right. I think I'm doing everything right. And why does this happen to me? And that is no, why...
1: actually more anger. <clears throat> anger. Not Not self-pity because I knew I was missing something, but I didn't know what it was, but it's... You know, it it was basically for me to grow into self compassion. So now I look at it in a very different light. Yeah. As to why I am well, still, you know, dealing with blood sugar, but I was just afraid. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to go that way. I wanted to go this way. Of course, mm-hmm. nobody can see me what I'm doing here. But uh, right, yeah. so that was kind of uh, she's
0: spreading <laughs> her arms. <laughs> that that way and this way. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that is also the 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 anger. Then I want to go back to possible childhood experiences mm-hmm. that can indeed increase your risk for leaky gut and autoimmune disease. Uh, why would you, based on what you're just telling us, why would you why would you say that? Why why can that be? Why can childhood experiences indeed be overwhelming?
1: Well, they are overwhelming because quite often. These adverse childhood experiences can be overwhelming because they happen because we are younger, and uh, we have certain needs, and so we can talk about trauma. Usually, when we think about trauma, we might think about you know childhood abuse or sexual molestation, or even a distinct uh, trauma like a severe car accident that puts you into a wheelchair. But trauma can also be what's called Misattunement, where the the caregiver, uh, the mother or the or the father, or whoever is taking care of the child, doesn't understand the child's needs, and that's called misattunement, and it's way more subtle. And when the child uh, is misattuned. In uh, Gaber Mate, I've listened to a lot of of his um, interviews. He's a medical doctor who has really worked with people with addictions, and he 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 asks us to ask the question: Don't ask the question why the addiction, but why the pain. And so he uh, speaks about attachment versus authenticity, mm. and when a child is not emotionally met, not necessarily intentionally, it might be intentionally, it just depends on the situation, by the parent, the child will almost always choose attachment, meaning being attached to the parent, being connected over over, over their own authentic self. And when mm-hmm. you lose your authentic self, things become muddied as to who you are as a person what your boundaries are in life, how you interact with people, and you tend to, you can lose yourself and lose who am I, why am I here? what's my purpose? which can, you know, a person can spiral down into to depression if it gets really bad, depending on this person's tendency. But so when you have the the misattunement, based on the parent and you have the blurriness between uh, what is me and what is my parent oh no I'm going to stay attached to my parents so I'm going to be a good girl
2: Mm -hmm. or
1: a good boy then there will be blurry boundaries also in the way our immune system responds to the environment and recognizing what is self and what is not self and so everything becomes blurry and then there is a then, Conf- together with the autoimmune system, depending on the t- tendency of the person either going to fight or flight or freeze, it then affects the immune system. Yeah. And then there is a lot of chaos and confusion. And that's how the autoimmunity during that avenue can accelerate. Yeah.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Very interesting. Very powerful. So you talk about trauma. But you talk about trauma with a capital T and a lowercase t. Right. What's the difference?
1: Well, the trauma with a lowercase, and of course, I think this is still in transition. Now, first of all, let's define what trauma is.
0: Capital T? Or yeah, no, lowercase. trauma in, ge- in general,
1: okay. it's not the event itself per se, but what the residue Stays with us mm-hmm. after the event, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and how we are how we are still held by the event, and and the way Bessel von der Kolk explains it, if a person has a trauma, and the residue of the event is still lingering in our body and in our mind, it uh, we have a hard time distinguishing the past from the present. And so the event, the whatever the residue is of whatever overwhelming experience we've had, it's residue
0: still, is, is memory, kind of.
1: Yeah, the memory in our cells.
0: Mm-hmm. In our cells. In
1: our cells, in our in our nervous system. I guess mm-hmm. uh, the trauma is held in our nervous system because that's the the whole fight and flight and freeze, with the window of tolerance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. I really forgot what I was talking about. What was your question now?
0: Well, the difference between trauma, you were talking about what is trauma. Yeah,
1: yeah, At first, I first wanted to divine that. So, yeah, so the trauma is not the event, it's how we relate to what have happened and Correct. how and how the residue of it is, is still in our mind and in our body and held specifically in our nervous system. Okay. And so that can be, as I said, was the the misattunement and and. So, conventionally speaking, misattunement by a, a caregiver or neglect, depending on how severe it is, it would be considered a lower case trauma. And so, capital three trauma would be, you know, sexual abuse, especially if it's over multiple years, especially if it has happened at an early age. Mm-hmm. That can be super traumatic, you know, physical abuse, severe emotional abuse, uh, living with an alcoholic parent, living with an addicted parent, living with a severely depressed parent, that would be considered
0: trauma trauma with a a a capital capital T. T. And trauma with a lowercase is more the emotional effects from that.
1: No, not the emotional effects from that. these are not, they're, they're, there's just categories of trauma, and even that is blurry. The lowercase trauma could be neglect if it's not too severe. If it's severe neglect, it would be capital T okay. trauma. Okay. Misattunement can be very minor. But if it involves severe neglect again because of misattunement for whatever reason, it would be a capital T.
2: I see. Okay. You
1: can have... I mean, you can't expect a parent to always know how to attune to a child. And so there can be a repair and a restorative period after a period of, of, of misattunement. Mm. But if the misattunement never gets restored, and then in my case, my mom commits suicide that's a capital T.
2: Right, right.
1: Because my mom was too depressed to attune to me. Mm-hmm. She couldn't. Right. And then, anyway, uh, I'm going to go into whole detail. But anyway, so that, so if, you, if the misattunement is never restored, it turns into a capital T. But I see. The, but if the misattunement is restored and the parent is able to figure out, oh my gosh, you know, or talk to the child if, if the child is old enough. Or, you know, I guess conventionally, and I never had kids, uh, one of the things that Gavramate brings up is doing sleep training and letting the child cry because that supposedly is better for the child because they need to be on a sleep schedule. And he says that can create intense feelings of abandonment uh, in the child that they're not loved and Mm -hmm. not wanted. Mm -hmm. And so just about every podcast he brings that up, Mm -hmm. this whole issue around sleep and babies and how they need to be held and how you can't put a time schedule on them uh, because they need you. They're Mm -hmm. completely and 100% dependent Dependent on you. So mm -hmm. that is like... A setup for very early childhood trauma that, in adulthood, or even later on in life, the child might not be aware of at all,
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and
1: that's called pre-verbal trauma. Okay. So that trauma then gets stored in the nervous system, and then whatever else happens can have serious consequences. It, all, it, it depends both on the person and then also what happens after that.
0: Right. So. And the name is Gabor Mate?
1: Yeah, Gabor Mate.
0: G-A, G-A-B-O-R? G-A,
1: yes, and he's actually the
0: co-author.
1: M-A-T-E? A-T-E. Yeah, Mate, but okay, Axan And he is the co-author, Hold On To Your Kids.
0: Hold On To Your Kids.
1: He's the co-author with uh, Gordon Neufeld. Is that right? Yep.
0: Oh, yeah. That's another great uh, book,
1: right? But well, you had him on the radio. I show. I did.
0: I did have him a couple of times. Yeah, my show used to be something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, you were you were you were on it
0: many times. I think thirty-five times. Oh, always something different to talk about. Very yeah, really uh, is that
1: really true? Thirty-five times.
0: I think you were. Yeah, yeah I can, no, yeah, I can yeah count no, it.
1: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: I think uh, you and Doctor Dan. They're like the most uh, (laughs) visiting, but out of 914 shows, uh, that's a good percentage, right? So, wow, 4%. 4% of the shows, you were there. So, well, that is uh, very powerful. Thank you so much for explaining that. Neglect and abuse. Why can these increase your risk for autoimmune disease? So they're, they're kind of you, you mention them as polar opposites, mm-hmm. neglect and abuse because abuse means, well, I can see also that you can neglect can be abusive as well.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And abuse can be denial of mm. uh, of your existence. So but the, the, in a way, they're polar opposites and, and how do you see that these can increase your risk for autoimmune disease?
1: Yeah, so th- so they are polar opposite in terms of, I guess, how the trauma uh, is presented. Neglect can, is way more subtle, of mm-hmm. course, and it's also harder to pinpoint and also for the person to be harder to be aware of because, you know, however, whatever happened appears normal to them, and so they don't even have a frame of reference, whereas... If you had physical or emotional or sexual or psychological abuse, it stares you right in the face and you will know, okay, well, that's definitely a trauma. And the way they you know, both uh, increase your risk for an autoimmune disease, well, both of them, when you have these early childhood experiences that are very overwhelming, both will trigger ...in you that you are shameful. And so a lot of shame can develop in a person of not... ...of feeling that they're not enough. And it can manifest in all kinds of ways I want to go into. But the bottom line, again, is because of the perception of self... ...which is kind of skewed as to who they are as a person it then in turn affects the autonomic nervous system and causes a dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. If you go to, uh, what is this, trauma in the nervous system. Oh, yeah,
0: I saw that pamphlet.
1: I mean, there's many ways to look at the, the autonomic nervous system. This is... Uh,
0: Polyvagal perspective.
1: Yeah, so this uh, comes from uh, Stephen Porges, and he uh, developed this theory, and this is the predominant, and it's not necessarily a theory, it's called a perspective here, but he, he developed this concept of uh, nervous system regulation and what happens with trauma in the first page. Yeah. hmm is ventral, co- ventral vagal. vagal. What and, does that mean? Yeah, here. A oh. system of safety and connection where health, growth, and restoration happens.
0: Ventral and, is spelled V E N T R A L. Ventral vagal, V A G A L. Ventral vagal. And. So it's a system of safety and connection. Where health, growth, and restoration happen. So this is a very positive thing,
1: right? So that is the state that we, uh, as it says here, emergent properties of a ventral state—a story of possibilities. Mm -hmm. So co-regulation, meaning you're able to, your nervous system is 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 in connection with the other person, and you feel safe, and you feel open, and you communicate, and then self-regulate means that, you know, your autonomic nervous system is regulated and there's all these things that are underneath that are positive connection to self, to others, to the world, through spirit, tune into the moment, tune out distractions, you're resourced, resourceful, you reach out for and offer support, you explore options, hope, compassion, self-compassion, flexible and resilient. So that is...
0: A two-way street. That's what it feels like to me. If you say resourced resourced, so people come to you as a resource and you are resourceful. Right. You reach out for and offer support. So you reach out for support and you offer support, but also you will probably receive support. Right. Explore options, hope, compassion. Yeah. Okay. Right. And
1: so these are the states of the autonomic nervous system arousal. So the ventral vagal. Is a state of rest, and nobody is always in this state. We're humans and we go up and down in our in our emotional experiences. It's yeah. when we stay stuck in a state, and so the vag- the ventral vagal, or the other pamphlet mm-hmm. that I gave you, mm-hmm. it's the called the window of tolerance, Correct. which is very similar. So you have hyper-arousal, hypo-arousal mean hyper meaning overactive, sympathetic, dominance hypoarousal, meaning parasympathetic dominance, and then you have the window of, of tolerance. tolerance. Yeah. And so what happens when a person has experienced a lot of trauma, this window of tolerance gets narrower and narrower and narrower because they can't tolerate any change in their life. And a person might say something and they just get triggered and they fly off the handle or they freeze. They don't say anything. And mm-hmm. this depends on mm-hmm. what state they're in. And so these are kind of not necessarily competing Models, but they're modules that uh, have been developed, I guess, at the same time. The reason I printed this out, because in the healing trauma program, this is the model that was used uh-huh. by Jeffrey Rudstein. And we were constantly asked to ask ourselves, what state are we in? And so... This is an optimum state, but we are human, so you can go. To I do.
0: before we go yeah. to that, I want to say one more time about the page for the listeners. So the window of tolerance, uh, the page is divided in horizontally in three sections: an upper, middle and a lower section. The upper section is hyperarousal, and those are feelings overwhelmed, Disorganized cognitive processing, emotional reactivity, hypervigilance, intrusive imagery, tension and rapid breathing, and increased sensation. That is what is called hyperarousal. The hypoarousal on the bottom, it says relative absence of awareness of sensation, numbing of emotions, disabled cognitive processing, reduced physical movement, Difficulty tracking conversation in the moment, so you're kind of constantly your mind is gone, and disengagement. That's hypo low arousal, and then the middle the middle bar is window of tolerance, with optimal arousal zone, and the workable range of resilience. So what you're saying, Marion, the closer this this middle band becomes, yeah, more narrow, more narrow. More narrow, the more you have dealing with either hyper or hypo or arousal, right. which so rea- means
1: a reactivity of the of the autonomic nervous system.
0: There is no recharge. There is no there is no moment of relax, right. recharge, calmness. Yeah. Well, we all have
1: that. Obviously, when you sleep, you have a moment of recharge, unless you, you have severe insomnia. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, so
1: yeah, so that's the window of tolerance with the polyvagal perspective, mm-hmm. the ventral vagal would be in the middle of the window Correct. of tolerance. you're right, you're right. So let's go then to the, the next page, sympathetic. Which, which is the symp- sympathetic branch of these uh, three states of arousal, which would be, uh, be uh, hyper-arousal uh, in the window of tolerance. a system of mobilization where survival energy activates for protection through action. It's a a system
0: of mobilization where survival energy activates for protection through action.
1: Yeah, and Mm. there's some difficult words here. Emergent properties of a sympathetic survival state, sense of unease and impending danger, Uh, mobilization of fight and flight, uh, active aggression or escape, alarmed, hypervigilant, a story of an unsafe world and unsafe people looking and listening for danger miss or misread signs of safety sense of separation cut off from others disconnected from self others the world and spirit and also regulates breathing and heart rate and blood pressure i i mm-hmm. added that so that is more like the you know the hypervigilance state uh, or right. the hyperarousal States. And mm-hmm. then the last one is just the opposite, which then coincides to the hypo, hy- hypo arousal.
0: And that's called the dorsal vagal.
1: Dorsal vagal. Uh, and it's a system of immobilization that provides protection through forms of disappearing.
0: Uh-huh. Like the person
1: feels the safest by just being curling up. Yeah, curling up in a ball and uh, going under a blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, emergent property. Of a dorsal survival state, body enters conservation mode, numb, foggy, collapsed, disconnected, unfettered, floating, alone, lost, abandoned, unreachable, hopeless, despair. Disappear. Disappear. Yeah, you disappear. What did I say? Despair. Oh, despair. Well, just, could fit actually, too. despair should be there. Should be there. But yeah. it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Safety and hope uh, feel unreachable and what I added to that, daily function of a healthy digestion.
0: Daily function of a healthy digestion.
1: Yeah, it really affects uh, your digestion. Like if you are either in, in too much sympathetic or too much dorsal or too hyper and too hypo, it can directly affect the functioning of your digestion, which then mm-hmm. can affect directly affect your um, increased risk for having a leaky gut
0: because
1: right. of, of all the disorganization and all the...
0: Interesting. Uh, the,
1: all the autonomic yeah. um, mm-hmm. confusing messages your gut
0: is getting. Right, right, right. So the sympathetic has uh, it doesn't really. In that one, you don't talk about diet and digestion.
1: Well, you probably. This is the the list that. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. So. Okay. What, re- what kind the, of what, the, the, what the reason, would you say? The reason. The reason I said dorsal uh, uh, digestion. So the, for the parasympathetic nervous system is feed, eat, and breathe. And so that's kind of, they do a lot more, but that's kind of the, the parasympathetic nervous system oversees the feeding, the eating, the breathing. Obviously, if you're in a very hypervigilant mode and you're in sympathetic overdrive, your heart rate is going to rise. And if you are in a more parasympathetic mode, your heart rate will lower. But it will rise, you know, with a sympathetic
0: with excitement, but uh,
1: but the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system they they work in tandem, and they will both affect digestion. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just when you are in a, too much of a parasympathetic mode, you tend more towards constipation. I didn't write that down when when you're more in a sympathetic mode, you tend more towards. Diarrhea. A- explosive diarrhea. But wow. but then, again, you can be in both modes at the same time or alternating. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. I mean, the nervous system is, it's not like you're in one state all the time. But the whole purpose of the um, healing trauma program is to have self-compassion around where you were and are. Recognize the state that you're in. And if you go to the last page, this is Sounds True Healing Trauma Program. What state am I in? What do I need to be anchored in ventral regulation? Where is the other person, assuming you're interacting with another person, and what does their nervous system need in this moment?
2: Wow, okay.
1: So, um, yeah, so this was a, this was a nine-month program, uh, program that I did online through Zoom with Jeffrey Rutstein, uh, True Sounds True. Rutstein
0: uh, is spelled R-U-T-S. T, E I N Jeffrey J E F F R E Y. Right, and, and
1: yeah, and he had guests that every every month we had a different module with different ge- guests and different uh, speakers. Yeah. yeah, and then some homework.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah. So why did I? I why am I bringing uh, a, adverse, the polar opposites? Yeah. yeah. Well. That in relationship on to our uh, autonomic nervous system. Right. That it both causes autonomic nervous system dysregulation. It's just a matter of where the person ends up being most of the time. And so then you get the uh, dysregulated nervous system and the mixed messages and the confusing messages and more risk for leaky gut and more risk for, you know, endocrine dysregulation Mm. and immune dysregulation. And then, you know, you have more risk for having autoantibodies. And then if it goes far enough, then more risk for having an autoimmune disease.
0: So if I can go back a bit in the program, when you talk about autoimmunity, how it can affect leaky gut is because the combination of emotions that you're talking about how that is expressed through the vagus nerve. And then the vagus nerve goes in the digestive tract is also moving into the digestive tract. And therefore that the energy of the emotions, if I can call it energy right. the, is affecting the layer of the uh, small intestine. Right. Specifically. And, and
1: the autonomic nerve. Remember the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic and subtle enervates everything. And when there is dysregulation in the in the nervous system, it then affects Right. The the digestion, but yeah, what is behind there? well, you can call it trapped emotions, if you look at the uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. look at the um, the emotion code, uh-huh. or you can call it stored trauma in the nervous system, if you're looking at a somatic. what's it called somatic based uh, psychotherapy, meaning body based psychotherapy?
0: Yeah. Uh, but energy is vibration. And so, when the energy is off, so to say, is not in harmony with the vibration in which the intestinal wall functions, then the energy can dysregulate the functioning of all these tiny openings right. in the jejunum, the small intestine. And then it starts to deteriorate them and open them, and you start having issues. And that is right. kind of how I visualize part of what you're mentioning. I, to me, that is a fascinating thing. And and I do know that sound, sound can create form mm-hmm. or shape at high pitch, low pitch, whatever. And so I can understand now that emotions are energy. Yeah, energy frequency. Pro- frequency. Frequency produces form. And in this case, the frequency is such that the form is disrupted. The original right. form of harmony and perfection is... Out of balance mm-hmm. and can therefore cause openings in the intestinal wall. Hmm. Powerful stuff. That's really powerful, right? So by 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 helping us with different therapies, it will send a signal to through through the entire vagal nerve and through the cells of our body and mm-hmm. starts hopefully, slowly the de- slowly de- healing right. process. And
1: then I also want to actually clarify, not everybody that has leaky gut will develop an autoimmune disease or will have oh, that's a- interesting. autoantibodies. Uh-huh.
2: Uh-huh. So
1: uh, your risk for an autoimmune uh, immune disease uh, becomes higher, but you can't make the claim that everybody with a leaky gut uh, will get an autoimmune disease. And I will go as far as to say that not everybody with an autoimmune disease has necessarily leaky gut, but that's a whole controversial topic in the field of functional medicine because the preface in functional medicine is that leaky gut is at the center of all autoimmune disease. But What I, is
0: functional medicine? Well, is functional, it a combination of well, natural and Western? Well,
1: functional me- like uh, there's a whole branch of medicine called functional medicine, and these are medical doctors. Uh, you know, naturopaths are by definition functional medicine doctors Mm because that's their training it's functional medicine Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but a functional medicine doctor is a quite often a doctor with a conventional md training uh doctor and osteopathy training uh, you know a family nurse practitioner a pa they do additional training through the institute of functional medicine and they get a functional medicine uh, certificate where they really look more at the function and structure of the body rather than looking here is a pill for this and here's a pill for that, and really kind of, you know, trying to dig deeper what is the imbalance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I still feel there's a limit to it because stress is usually hearsay and is in the background but is not in the center mm-hmm. when for some people that needs to be the center from for, for some people it doesn't mm-hmm. but again it depends on the yeah uh, uh, you know, on the autoimmune disease and what are all the factors
0: right maybe what we should do Marion the the Polyvagal Institute P O L Y V A G A L P O L Y V A G A L the Polyvagal Institute has created a little 9 minute video about the vagal system, polyvagal perspective is what it's called. Let's take a look. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we can play this and listen to it. Uh, we'll be right back.
3: Over half of us have a chronic disorder such as high blood pressure or autoimmune disease. Rates of anxiety, depression, PTSD and addiction are skyrocketing. Why? Why? The roots of these issues and more can often be traced to trauma, adverse childhood experiences, chronic stress, and ultimately, nervous system dysregulation. Meet your autonomic nervous system. Let's call it ANS. ANS takes care of a lot of your automatic functions, like your heartbeat, digestion, and body temperature. ANS also manages your survival and stress response, working to keep you alive when your life is in danger. ANS functions as our built in detection system, constantly scanning our environment for cues of safety and cues of danger. As ANS scans the environment, it has three general responses or states Safe. You feel calm, relaxed, and connected to those around you. Mobilized. When ANS detects danger, it sends a command and your heart rate and breathing increase, adrenaline and cortisol are released, and blood rushes to your muscles so you can handle the threat. This is our fight flight response. Immobilized. When ANS detects that the danger is so great that you can't fight or run, it shuts you down. In this state, our heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature decrease, and pain numbing endorphins are released.
0: So ANS is autonomic nervous system, ANS.
3: ANS does all of this automatically without us thinking about it. ANS doesn't just use these states for survival it uses them to navigate through the world each day. When ANDS functions well, it moves fluidly from one state to another, one minute mobilized and ready for action, and the next resting and recovering. ANDS will often blend states together. When we play, ANDS combines the mobilized and safe states. And when we are intimate with loved ones, it combines immobilized and safe states. When ants can stay flexible and fluid like this, it helps us manage and become resilient to stress and negative events. We're able to bounce back and move on. Unfortunately, when we experience trauma and chronic stress, it can keep ants from functioning in a healthy, regulated, and resilient way and can keep us stuck in states of survival. A friendly get together can become frightening. A simple meeting at work can become threatening. For those with a history of trauma and chronic stress, the ANS detection system often becomes faulty, constantly signaling danger even when we are safe. It's like ANS is an alarm system, constantly signaling fire even when there's no smoke and no flames. Consistently living in these survival states can be debilitating, and we often develop adaptive strategies like using drugs, alcohol, food, work, or sex in an attempt to bring regulation and temporary relief. Understanding how trauma impacts us is critically important. There is a whole spectrum of experiences that can be traumatizing and adversely impact ants, like accidents, assaults, and natural disasters, which are often called shock traumas. There is also developmental or relational trauma, when we experience chronic adversity, abuse, neglect, and lack of safety while growing up. Many other experiences can be traumatizing, including chronic stress, medical procedures, and adverse community environments like poverty, discrimination, and violence. Additionally, new research in epigenetics shows us that trauma can get passed down genetically at least three generations. In the past, we've thought about trauma as events that happen to us. We now know that trauma is an experience, not an event. It's what happens inside of us as a result of what happens to us. It's our response to the event rather than the event itself. Over 20 years ago, Kaiser and the CDC launched a groundbreaking study of over 17,000 patients that showed a direct link between adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, and long-term health and wellness. In the study, two-thirds of participants reported at least one ACE. Over 20% reported three or more. When participants reported four or more ACEs, this corresponded to an increased chance for heart disease, cancer, drug abuse, and more. With six or more ACEs, life expectancy decreases by almost 20 years. We are learning that many physical and emotional symptoms may emerge from a chronically dysregulated ANS. When ANS gets stuck in survival states, our biology shifts its focus from the tasks that keep us healthy, happy, and thriving to surviving the immediate perceived threat. Many conditions and symptoms that are chronic and difficult to diagnose and treat can be attributed to a dysfunctional ANS. Our childhood experiences can also keep us from connecting with others. This is vitally important because as children, our number one survival priority is to attach to caregivers. When the people responsible for our safety aren't safe and we are living in chronic states of unsafety ANS doesn't get wired right. The part of ANS that judges what is safe and what is not becomes faulty. If intimacy and connection were unsafe as a child, as adults, we'll often unconsciously reject attempts from friends and partners to connect. Even though intimacy and connection is what we want, ANS feels it's unsafe and won't allow it. Trauma compromises our ability to engage with others, replacing the need for connection with the need for protection. When there's been trauma, ANS can no longer differentiate between our unsafe past and our now safe present. ANS can't turn off the need to protect, even though we are now safe. So what can we do when ANS becomes dysregulated? How do we recover from trauma and develop a healthy, regulated, resilient nervous system? Fortunately, we can retrain ANS to feel safe again. This is best done with the help of others. Each one of us has an ands, and our ands is constantly communicating with and attuning to the states of others. We autonomically mirror the states of those around us. This is called co-regulating. We see it in herd behavior. If one animal senses danger, the entire group becomes more alert, increasing their chances of survival. We're exactly the same. When we're with others who are stressed, angry, or depressed, it makes us feel worse. When we're with others who are calm and happy, it makes us feel better. Connecting with others who are safe, attuned, and present is the best way to restore a healthy ANS. For those struggling to recover from the impacts of trauma, there is an emerging field of innovative clinical therapies that have been developed to reestablish safety and regulation to ANS. We're also learning that many of the activities we intuitively know make us feel better, like spending time in nature practicing yoga, dancing, helping others, and more, can help ANS become more regulated and resilient. Healing from trauma and finding release from being stuck living in survival states comes as ANS becomes regulated, increases its capacity for resilience, and regains its flexibility. It's not about being calm all the time or mobilized all the time. It's about having a flexible and resilient nervous system. That can accurately assess safety and danger and respond appropriately. We're truly resilient when we can fluidly move from one state to another. For those living with the impacts of trauma and chronic stress, becoming unstuck is like beginning a new life. For the rest of us, understanding how our nervous system states guide our behavior can help us become happier, healthier, and more empathetic human beings. Collectively, we have an epidemic of social issues that are rooted in trauma. If we can do the work to heal past traumas and build healthy, regulated nervous systems as individuals, families, and communities, we can end the cycles that continue to reinforce our greatest challenges and create a safer, vibrant, and more connected world.
0: very powerful it talks about the polyvagal institute so that is maybe something you can uh, check very very powerful thank you for linking me to that one marian actually it did mention a few things you already mentioned it was kind of a nice uh summarize summarizing of some of the topics
1: yeah and what i noticed and i should have written it down as she was Speaking about it, she didn't have the fancy um, terms ventral vagal and sympathetic and dorsal vagal, Mm -hmm. but sympathetic was mobilized and dorsal vagal, I I believe she says frozen, but I can't remember what she said, and then ventral vagal was like rested and and engaged, but I can't remember the exact term that she used, but that's a lot better than these uh, mouthful words that uh, (laughs) that I... uh, Learned about in the healing trauma program. Mm,
0: all right, this video kind of shows a little bit uh, about the trauma, with the capital T, in the trauma, with the lower case abuse and neglect, misattunement. How that affects the the ANS, the autonomic nervous system. Right. Yeah. All right.
1: Cool. It, it does, and then it also the highlight is, is that if you've had trauma in the past, you are misreading the present
2: mm-hmm.
1: because you're looking at the present through the lens of the past because of trauma is not what happens but I know she said it di- differently but uh, how you've experienced it and how it still resides in you yeah, and so then you cannot distinguish between what they are ca- calling cues of safety versus cues of danger and when there is No danger in the present, you might misread it as danger because you are not fully in the present Mm -hmm. because you're basically, in a way, trapped within yourself with whatever residue is still left from your past and the traumas that are in your nervous system that need to be released.
0: It shows me that it is very important when you become a parent that you do your own work on yourself because how you, um, how do I say it? I mean, how you raise the child is a reflection of who you are.
1: Well, and also how you raise the child, whatever happened to you and is not resolved in you will come up during child rearing. Absolutely. I didn't rear a child, but...
0: uh, Right, but the point is, is, yeah, yeah. but the point is that um, there are things that I have learned throughout mm-hmm. my life and as a parent but I'm different I'm a different person now than I was uh, 40 years ago. Right
1: we should we should become parents when we're 80 and we are very wise but instead yeah. it's the other way around when we have so much to learn yet and so
0: That's right. Me, it's so easy to get a child or right. to have a child but it's not easy to raise a child right. and to to give the child the best environment and opportunity to become to become the best they can be we all we have said at times you know we all have a past we all have trauma somewhere but at the same time that that comes out sideways but this is not this topic today is really explaining why certain disorders in the body in the mind can happen and in this case autoimmunity and i think that the topic, the way you're explaining it, makes a lot of sense. And I'm really happy that you have put so many sources, uh, resources together to to let people say, wow, this is, I need to do some homework here for myself to overcome this. But knowing that you can overcome it, mm-hmm. you just need to have compassion. Now, I you mentioned over here a Stephen Porges Porkus is right. the developer of the polyvagal theory. Can you tell me a little bit more about him?
1: Well, he is a developer of of the polyvagal uh, theory. He is part of this institute, NICAMBM. It's the National Institute, blah blah blah, of Behavioral Medicine. Okay. Clinical, oh, Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine, National Institute of Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine. So he's part of these, you know, a lot of them very famous people. And he is also, I was basically less familiar with him until I started to attend the healing trauma program, the nine month program. He did a lot of research, and I have indicated here, he did 300 peer-reviewed articles Mm. on this polyvagal theory. Uh, You know, the cues, they're talking about cues for safety and cues for danger and the misreading by the nervous system. It's a perspective or theory that is around, you know, feelings of shame and blame that often happens when people have early overwhelming uh, childhood experiences where they feel they can't be themselves because if they are themselves, they are considered being in bad behavior or they're a bad boy or they're a bad girl. And so he developed the theory around how can we regulate, just a little video that we um, heard.
0: Listen to, yeah.
1: Yeah. How can we regulate the nervous system by paying attention to the states and how can we get back into that state. But I don't have any books from him. I've never necessarily read anything about him other than having the practical application during the training.
0: Yeah, but if you want to look it up, it is uh, Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N, Portis P-O-R-G-E-S. He's a PhD, so I think you can look him up. Or you can go to uh, the website called NI, National Institute, C-A-B-M, N-I-C-A-B-M.com. And you should find some more information about it. So that's the National Institute of Clinical and Behavioral Medicine.
1: That's right. And there's all these experts are listed, including Bessel van der Kolk. Oh, okay. So it's all these pretty famous people that have made a huge impact on the development on what's called... Somatic uh, based psychotherapy and somatic meaning body based. Right, okay. Because the body keeps the score. Correct. Not the left brain.
0: Not the left brain. <laughs> That's right. Good. Well, that is, uh, I will uh, definitely go through this. Very interesting so far. Marion, as part of the topics that you have for understanding autoimmunity, understanding the vagus nerve, the, the polyvagal uh, information that we just talked about, there was also something that's called the ACE study. And the ACE is abbreviated for abbreviation for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And this was a study done uh, by Kaiser Permanente with the CDC. And this was done from 1995 till 1997. More than 17,000 people participated in this anonymous study, and then it was published in 1998. What makes this a hallmark study, and what were some of the findings?
1: Yeah, what makes this a hallmark study, they were looking at uh, the connection between adverse childhood experience and the risk for chronic disease. Uh And um, as part of a, a regular physical exam, they also filled out this questionnaire um, with regards to having experienced early adverse childhood
0: experience. Yeah, and maybe something people will never think about, but then they see the questionnaire, they see the questions, which I would love to go through. With you because uh, it, it opens my it opens my eyes when I read this, go like, "Wow, that's really interesting. I mean you we have these experiences, but the the ten questions that were being asked to me are very insightful, could be very insightful and and really all people had to do is yes or no it was not like explain it but well, pretty they, much yes or no well right? they
1: add a no and you can either put okay. in a, you can either put in a zero or a yes and you're putting in a one and and if your score you know above 2 your risk for future chronic disease and mental illness and suicide uh, goes up and so the questions the reason they generated the questions the the way they did is that these were one of the most often seen early uh, childhood adverse experience. Yeah. But they wanted to, you know, study this systematically. So they chose these um, set of questions which had to do with either physical abuse or verbal abuse or sexual abuse or physical neglect or emotional neglect or, or you know, dealing with an, uh, an alcoholic parent or a parent with uh, mental illness... And so it it doesn't necessarily address the uh, the misattunement uh, factor that we spoke about earlier on the program. Yeah. But uh, but at the time there was kind of n- no real connection given to early childhood adverse experiences and the risk for chronic disease. So that's why it was a hallmark study because they found uh, certain things like chronic pulmonary lung disease increases by three hundred ninety percent when the adverse childhood experience is four, which means
0: four for, for, out of the four uh, questions.
1: No, out of the ten questions, out of the twenty four, questions, what I mean, yeah, yeah, ten questions. yeah out of the ten questions, uh, they answered a one if it was it, if that was applicable if the question you know related to their early childhood uh, upbringing, and so having an a score of four increased. You know, risk for pulmonary lung disease, 390%. Hepatitis, 240%. Depression, 460%. Hmm. And then suicide increased risk of 1220%. I mean, it's that, unreal. Yes. Yes. And, and so, d- later on, this has been developed more into other diseases, including autoimmune disease. And, but that's not part of the ACE study, and I, I've given you an, another um, reference in another article that I printed out looking at the connection between ACE and autoimmune disease. Yeah. But, but that's not what this, this study is about. But this
0: was already very good to understand that this could be an important component right, of right. this disease. I, I if, if you don't mind, I, I like to read what it says on the study. It's uh, The website is called aces 2 High. ACES, A-C-E-S, and then 2, T-O-O, HI, H-I-G-H, H ACES2High.com. There are 10 types of childhood trauma measured in the ACE study. Five are personal, physical abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, physical neglect, and emotional neglect. Five are related to other family members, like a parent who is an alcoholic, a mother who is a victim of domestic violence, a family member in jail, a family member diagnosed with mental illness, and the the disappearance of a parent through divorce, death, or abandonment. Each type of trauma counts as one. So a person who has been physically abused with one alcoholic parent and a mother who was beaten up has an A score of 3. Okay, so you understand. So a person who's been physically abused, one, with one alcoholic parent, two, and a mother who was beaten up has an A score of three. There are, of course, many other types of childhood trauma, such as watching a sibling being abused, losing a caregiver, like a grandmother, a mother, a grandfather, etc., homelessness, surviving and recovering from a severe accident, witnessing a father being abused by a mother, witnessing a grandmother abusing a father, etc. The a study included only those 10 childhood traumas because those were mentioned as most common by a group of about 300 Kaiser members. Those traumas were also well studied individually in the research literature, so... 17,000 people participated, but to come, uh, come up with the questions, the 10 questions was based on over 300, about 300 Kaiser Permanente members who said this was apparently the most common mentioned.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: So if this is all based on prior to your 18th birthday, so I'll, I'll read the first question. And then, uh, so number one, before your 18th birthday, Did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? No or yes. So no, zero. If yes, enter the number one. Okay,
1: question number two. Did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Hmm. No. Zero. If yes, enter one.
0: Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you? Or have you touched a body in a sexual way? Or attempt or actually have oral, anal or vaginal intercourse with you? No, zero, if yes, enter one.
1: Okay, number four. Did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special? Or your family didn't look out for each other? feel close to each other, or support each other? No, zero, if yes, enter one.
0: Did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, and had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it. No, zero points. If yes, enter one point.
1: Question number six. Were your parents ever separated or divorced? No, enter zero. If yes, enter one.
0: Number seven. Prior to your 18th birthday, was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped or had something thrown at her? or sometimes often or very often kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or ever repeatedly hit over at least a few minutes, or threatened with a gun or a knife? No is zero if yes enter one point.
1: Question number eight. Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker, or alcoholic, or who used street drugs? No, enter zero. If yes, enter one.
0: Hmm. Number nine. Was a household member depressed or mentally ill or did a household member attempt suicide? No, zero. Or if yes, enter one point.
1: Did a household member go to prison? Zero for no. If yes, enter one.
0: So, then what you do, you add up your yes answers, and this is then your ACE score. The study's researchers came up with an ACE score to explain a person's risk for chronic disease. You get one point for each type of trauma. The higher your ACE score, the higher your risk of health and social problems. Of course, other types of trauma exist that could contribute to an ACE score, so it is conceivable that people could have ACE scores higher than 10. However, the ACE study measured only 10 types. As your ACE score increases, so does the risk of disease. And Marianne just mentioned those. That is just amazing. Wow, this is powerful. It is. It makes total sense. Everything that you have already said today, this is deep seated stuff. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes back through our autonomic nervous system and through the vagus nerve and can cause. Autoimmunity that we talk about. So wow, it's uh, it's amazing to see start seeing the linking Mm -hmm. of all this, and it is a the fact that in this case, a lot of Western medicine has done studies, and people who are not familiar per se with alternative medicine, but medical doctors and PhDs, who how they are starting to link together with their knowledge and experiences, and working with their patients that all this information is now available for us to see. I wonder how much of this is from the last half century. I wonder if this was something that you feel, Marian, has been around for a long time.
1: So the problem with the research that it's often not applied, so even though we have all this trauma research Mm -hmm. in that it's been shown that uh, the residue of trauma is trapped in our body, in our nervous system. Our current standard approach for psychotherapy is cognitive behavioral therapy, and a lot of research that we have is not being applied, and some of our schooling is not being updated. And so mm. a lot of counselors will have to do continuing education, to really understand somatic based mm-hmm. psychotherapy, and they can get certificates in it after they have gone to uh, through the training. Yeah, yeah. And even with with other types of medicine, and um, you know, there there is a lot of research done that is not being applied, and that might be partly because we have a drug based medicine that is based on drugs, which is very profitable. I don't want to get too uh, negative about it, but I think that is part of the resistance for the change where we are going to have a really a a form of medicine that really fosters the inner healer, as as we talked about in the beginning or as you read my uh, biography, that that ultimately is not the the intent so I feel that conventional medicine the participants might be very good people and really caring and wanting to help their patient but they don't necessarily get the right tools in their toolkit to actually help people so a lot of research kind of gets pushed under the table and not looked at and you know, let's say this study was in 1998. Well, how much application have we had so far? Mm. Well, we have the National Institute of the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine, they're at the forefront. There's a lot of institutes that are doing more progressive type of trauma, body based trauma therapy, but it is not standard. Mm. And so um, I have contemplated, well, maybe I should get a master's in social work. It doesn't take that long, but do I want to be learning all this outdated stuff? Right. That How much is that going to help my, um, you know, my clients? I'm 62, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go there. So. No, but, no. But it crossed my mind temporarily until I hear Bessel van der Kolk uh, say, and it's still not being taught. Mm. Trauma is still something that's... Uh, mm. Mm. So it's just not being implemented. I mean, we we have a ton of research about all kinds of things, including you know functional medicine. Mm.
0: It will be ho- it's horrible if it, it, it's a financial issue that I feel they it is. realize it, it,
1: it, it's a pro- it's an, an issue of profit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The whole our whole antidepressants,
0: West- anti anxiety yeah. medication. I mean, granted,
1: there's good components uh, in in uh, conventional me- medicine, but yeah, the whole mindset it's it, it's not looking at structure, function, and root causes. Sometimes it will, you know, but it's, you know, putting Band-Aids on a lot of things, and we do that with medication. And sometimes a person needs to take an mm-hmm. antidepressant, and sometimes people can benefit from that. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabramate, who I uh, mentioned way earlier, he has been both on antidepressants <laughs> and on ADD medication, and yeah. not anymore. And he himself said, I'm not universally opposed to a medication and uh, uh, temporarily it can be life-saving and helpful, but usually people just stay on it and nobody questions that maybe uh, it's time to get off and maybe, you know, need to do something else. So that's what's so, um, I think, harmful about conventional medicine, especially when you're going to the realm of uh, antipsychotic medication. Yeah. They have a lot of potential severe negative side effects.
0: Yeah, that's right. We can read about yeah. that in quite a few books. And so many people put their trust in the medical doctor and expect that this person is knows better about their health than they do themselves. But there is a certain feeling when you come out of the office that you trust what you just were told is going to happen And then there is the reality of maybe seeing temporary improvements, but then in the long run, it may not hold. And there should be adjustments or there should be complementary medicine. We all talked about it. Complementary and alternative medicine, CAM, C-A-M. And there needs to be something done, like you say, dealing with trauma, looking for dietary, uh, maybe, allergens to foods that could be a mind-altering effect,
1: well, and not a con- so deep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely. I mean, I did,
0: a, I did a test with you on gluten. No,
1: I think those tests are all important. They it, are, it, it, the and, pieces and, and of the puzzle. They're right? all all important, uh, but you can't lose sight is that we have both the mind and the body and they're interconnected. Correct. Uh, but it's it's very important to look at food sensitivity and to look if you have celiac. Uh, it's super important. And I did that myself and I don't regret it.
0: No. <clears throat> so diagnosing an autoimmune disease is good to help understand what the symptoms are. Right. Then we need to find out what is the cause Behind the autoimmune disease, causes. which is causes yeah. what that we have, is there a physical cause? Look indeed into diet and some allergens and do an a, infections. A, okay, infections. That's yeah, a huge. Yeah, of course. I mean, I say of course, but that is uh, that's mm-hmm. that's good advice. And then you have the the, la- the the last one, but definitely not least is the understanding of the traumatic experiences that you have experienced that you have had in life, and that have shaped you to become the person who you are. And so this is um, this is interesting. Now, in the beginning of the program, you were talking also about this whole misattunement. Why do you say misattunement could be called invisible ace?
1: Well, misattunement was not necessarily part of this questionnaire because, you know, they were not looking at that uh, because it's also harder to recognize and a person might not necessarily be aware of the fact that there is a misattunement going on. Let's say, I'm just giving an example, Uh, you know, a child is, is playing in just created something and is really excited to show this to their mom or dad, but the mom or dad is too busy and is like, you know, oh, no, not, not now, honey, maybe later. That would be a form of, of misattunement. But misattunement can be very subtle, but the feedback that we get is that we're not important we're not good, we're not enough. Well, uh I'd better um you know keep quiet, especially like if a child is creative, and like the classic form of misattunement that Gabor Mate mentions is attention deficit disorder, and he actually I'm not sure if he did that. somebody did. It's relabeled at as authenticity. Deficit disorder And the way he looks at ADD Is that the child is Tuning out the environment For a good Reason for whatever Reason that might be It might be a chaotic environment It might be an overwhelming Environment it might be An environment where uh, the parents Have a lot of discourse And they're fighting a lot And so the child just tunes It out or it might be that they can't express themselves because if they do, they're out of line and they're misbehaving. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to express their whole range of emotions is unacceptable. And instead of the parent helping the child move to their anger or move to their grief, a, a parent might say, oh, it's not a big deal that this happens. You know, just move on. Mm-hmm. So that is... And, and so it's it's way more subtle, and the person might not even know that what that is or, better yet, that that even is a problem. Yeah. Until they start interacting with their environment and they um, have a hard time drawing boundaries and they overwork and they're trying to please and they don't want to get into trouble with the other person. And that often stems from that type of subtle you know, misattunement with the child that is still forming and growing.
0: So it's either that you start pleasing the other person or that you start causing trouble in the other person's life in order to get attention. So that's where you have that authenticity disorder. Well, you... You you, you have missed the attention. You didn't get attention for your feelings before. So now you work that out by... Drawing attention either in a good way or bad way or both. Right, Mm -hmm.
1: and so quite often the because the misattunement, however it manifests in the child, could be, you know, attention deficit. As I said, Gavramate calls it authenticity deficit disorder, and um, well, I have not actually looked. He has a whole section on ADD on his on his website, gavarmate.com, but I haven't oh, wow. I haven't actually looked at all that. Okay. I have only so many hours in the day.
0: <laughs> yeah. Get with it, really? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And come back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's been an amazing talk between us. I really think your information is golden. I really thank you for that, Marion. What? How could we uh, finish it here? Uh, maybe we can talk about some approaches for healing, relational trauma, and misattunement. So some options that people have if this topic has interested them and they feel they want to go to work. What are some of the things that you recommend they could check? And obviously, there is a lot of information out yep. today but in your study, in preparation for you to come up with the material we discussed today, give us some hints where people can go and what they can do.
1: Well, one of the sites that I actually became familiar with uh, many years ago was Sounds True. And uh, Sounds True is.com. Uh, .com,
0: Sounds com. And
1: the owner is Tammy Simon. She has summits that she offers, inter- free interviews, free podcasts. Um, I did the nine-month program, Healing Trauma Program, Become a Healing Presence, yeah.
2: um,
1: and I completed that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She has a lot of really good interviews. The book, The Body Keeps the Score, by Bessel van der Kolk, is a great resource. It is... Technical in the beginning, and he does state in the beginning of the book if that is too technical, it is not essential to understand all the brain imaging and what he is seeing and how he explains it. But later on, he really explains in a succinct way what trauma is and what it isn't, and uh, in the benefit of somatic body based psychotherapy and what that is, and some of the choices. Again, he's not giving all of the choices. That book is not, th- actually not that recent. I think it was, I can't even remember when the book was published. Uh,
0: Close to 10 years, I would say. Yeah.
1: So, so, but that's a great resource. Um, it was a really a, an awakening for me uh, to read that book and the confirmation, actually. And of and course...
0: I, I want to say, if you actually go to the website, N-I-C-A-B-M, National Institute... Of
1: clinical, applica- clinical
0: application, application of behavioral, behavioral medicine. medicine. Clinical application of behavioral medicine. N I C A B M dot com forward slash experts. You see best of on the cork as the first one mentioned. You can click on it and you'll learn more and you get more links mm-hmm. to that. All right. Another yes. one that you like?
1: Yeah. Also, just what you can do yourself is breathing slow. And realizing that if you are in a hyperactive state and you feel anxious and you're catastrophizing, catastrophizing, what do you call that word? That you can realize that in the present moment you are safe and focusing on your breath and focusing on your body and that can help calm down your overactive nervous system. So that is something you can do.
0: Anytime. time. Any time.
1: The same with uh, I- emotional freedom technique. There's tons of information on the web, on the web uh, you know, how to do the emotional freedom technique. That is also a technique you can do on your own.
0: Yeah, you can learn it. EFT.
1: Yeah, EFT. But, you know, lo- a lot of people do need professional help and we do have quite a selection of counselors in town that do somatic experiencing. It's body-based... Therapy that is less talk and more going into the body as to what is going on and how you feel when there, you know, something comes up that you are discussing. I used to have an issue with it and get pretty irritated. Well, since you're asking me, I don't feel anything anymore.
2: (laughs) Mm. That that
1: would be my (laughs) response. It was, uh, anyway. But I'm I'm finally getting used to it after I don't know how many years mm. um, of the uh, somatic experiencing.
0: So somatic the, is more body-oriented. Yeah,
1: body, soma is the body. And this was developed by Peter Levine. And so Peter Levine, I'm sure, has a website. Mm-hmm. I have that uh, neuroaffective relational model. I put that out not because I was that familiar with it. It's just a variance of, uh, you know, the, uh, the body-based therapy. And the National Institute of, of uh, Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine has a lot of continuing education yeah, that, I saw that, that counselors it, yeah. can do. Um, actually, the Treating Trauma Master's Program has a continuing education attached to it.
0: All right. And then uh, I saw a, a great website <laughs> that is the traumahealing.org. That's what you already talked about. Right,
1: that is with the somatic experiencing. Yeah.
0: ACE is too high. Dot .com that is just a few just a few and i think that uh, if anybody would like to get a hold of you then i think they could go to your website bozmannutritionist.com b o z e m a n nutritionist.com and contact you for more information or maybe schedule an appointment
1: yeah my website definitely needs a major overhaul in terms of uh, what I do. But, but this uh, would
0: be a good way to get yeah. a hold of you.
1: Yes, definitely. Right.
0: Well, I uh, want to thank you. I'm not want to thank you. I am thanking you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to reconnect, this is a very enlightening for me. This is definitely something that I haven't paid attention to myself. And so I think your information is very valuable. And I I do hope that uh, people will find you, connect with you, do more work for themselves and on themselves. And as parents, to really think how you can be the best parent for your child by first of all loving yourself and working on yourself so you can reflect that back onto your children. Or if you're pregnant, what you can do now to protect this baby when they're born or before they're born to already work on some trauma. It takes time. It takes effort. And a lot of us are addicted to social media and looking at things, but this will be putting the phone away and really start working on yourself. is very important.
1: Yeah, in terms of parenting, one book that is really good is Parenting from the Inside Out. Uh And it's by Dan Siegel, who is also a faculty Okay. He's a psychiatrist. He talks about, uh, you know, parenting from the inside out, meaning you're you're kind of reflecting on yourself because what happens when you parent things, your childhood experience is going to come up with parenting. Mm -hmm. So it's a, I think it's a very good book. Maybe for some people, well, it's too technical, but I, I think it's a very informative book.
0: Dan Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, is a a medical doctor and he coined the term "mind Mindsight to describe the human capacity to perceive the mind and he teaches his skill as a method of breaking habitual responses, deepening interpersonal relationships and processing difficult emotions. Hmm. How parental presence shapes who our kids become and how their brains get wired. I think it's called The Power of Showing Up. That's the name of the book, The Power of oh, yeah, Showing yeah, Up. Yeah,
1: that one, I don't know. Okay. I, I'm referring Any about a way, a way older book, Parenting from the Inside Out. is, yeah. is not a recent book, uh, but that's one of the books that a previous counselor of mine recommended I read. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. Anyway. yeah, anyway, <laughs> but this website, NI, uh, NICABM.com, you go to experts and then you already can scroll down and you listen to several courses that they have done. And you can listen and watch them, listen to them. So anyway, wonderful stuff, folks. Hopefully you enjoy this podcast. Please click follow at the bottom of the podcast that you always stay up to date on new episodes And if you go to my website, which is healthinfocusnow.com, healthinfocusnow.com, and please go to the bottom and sign up for the newsletter, then we keep you up to date on new articles and new podcasts. So I thank you very much for listening. I wish you well, not just you, but all those close to you, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.